Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. While we typically look at the movies over this short podcast series, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and myself will take a look at The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So not technically a movie, but streaming on the Disney platform, so that's close enough during this pandemic. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you will enjoy In this first episode, we take a look at episodes one and two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, together with Megan Doherty. Megan, as all listeners to my podcast know, is the producer extraordinaire on multiple podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network and for others. And we are going to treat you to a podcast series on uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. So, Megan, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Always happy to be here. So we're going to go through the synopsis of each episode. Uh, Then uh, Megan's going to tell us about some cookies and cool stuff. And then we're going to open the floor for discussion between ourselves. And we're going to go through each episode this first Podcast will be episodes one and two, and then we'll get caught up, and then we're going to do this on a weekly basis. So with episode one, uh, six months after the half-life of all, uh, half of all life returned from the blip, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon, stops uh, George Bartok, Batrock, rather, the ter- and the terrorist group LAF, who have hijacked a plane and taken a hostage over Tunisia with the support of U.S. Air Force First Lieutenant Joaquin Torres. Wilson, who has been given the mantle of Captain America by Steve Rogers, struggles with this idea and decides to give Roger Shield to the U.S. government for a display at the Smithsonian. Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier, who has recently pardoned, attends government-mandated therapy sessions, which we will take a deep dive into later. He discusses his attempts to make amends for his time as a brainwashed assassin, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier. Torres... uh, Barnes, uh, excuse me, Wilson's sidekick, investigates another terrorist group, the Flag Smashers, who believe believe that life was better during the blip. Torres is injured by a member of the group with superhuman strength when he witnesses them rob a bank in Switzerland. He later informs the Falcon of this, who has been attempting to help his reluctant sister, Sarah, with the family fishing business in Delacroix, Louisiana. The government soon announces a new Captain America, much to the chagrin of Sam Wilson, that is John Walker. So there are lots of deliciously fun cookies in this. <laughs> what were some of the ones that uh, piqued your interest, Megan? Okay, uh, you're right. There were so many of them. And the first one that I really noticed was um, just how cool that museum exhibit was in D.C. and how they'd added all of this, like all of the blip content. Uh, and there was a lot about in there about, um, you know, Cap's relationship with Bucky and, and what had happened to the Avengers. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, 
I guess, although um, before that, this was a little one, uh, with Red Wing, the, the Falcon's little drone, uh, beeped in response when he gave him a command, like R2-D2, but sounded like a bird. Um, so well done there for the details. Um, one little thing that was interesting, uh, right after Sam had donated this shield and he was looking at it in its glass case and you could see it superimposed on the reflection, I think they've used that motif a lot in the MCU, whether or not someone can see themselves in the role that they're being asked to fill. Um, and he was off kilter. He didn't fit it. So I thought that that was fascinating. Um, and then just um, 10 points for the most awkward therapy session of all time, um, which was wonderful. And uh, sidebar, I first heard the, the name, the Flag Smashers, and that they were all for a world without borders. And I was like, okay, great, awesome, new good guys. This is going to be fantastic. And then they were all just like, oh, yeah, the genocide was awesome. And that was very sad. Um, so <laughs> that, that was a little bit of a roller coaster for me. Uh, what, what about yours? What were your favorite cookies and cool parts? So the Smithsonian um, ceremony, I thought, uh, was great. A fishing boat. Actually, I saw that as a homage to Forrest Gump. It was a shrimp boat. So uh, I thought that was cool. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the thing I've been thinking about is mm. um, what do superheroes do for money? Because obviously Batman is Bruce Wayne, so he doesn't need money. Superman had a real job. He reported the Daily Planet. And indeed, uh, you know, the Flash, he, well, he hangs out by the railroad track, so he doesn't need a lot of money. <laughs> Uh, Wonder Woman has a job. Um, I'm not sh- sure. Uh, Ultron, <laughs> um, you know, he was going to destroy the world, so he mm-hmm. really didn't need a job. Um, the Hulk, uh, he's in hiding. So when he's uh, Dr. Banner, uh, Sarah Johansson, the assassin, uh, she assassinates people. So she gets paid for that. Uh, Iron Man. I mean, pr- not too recently. Not too recently. <laughs> uh, no, not too recently. Uh, Iron Man, uh, he he doesn't need money because he's Tony Stark. Um, so uh, the Green Arrow had a job. Uh, Superboy didn't need a job because he lived with his parents. You know, we never really had to deal with this. Um, one of the uh, Enterprise episodes, uh, actually it was the movie, the second movie, uh, He uh, Captain uh, Picard announced or, or told the uh, – uh, 20th century earth person that uh, they'd have all passed money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when someone asks how much does the starship cost? Um, so uh, I thought that was really interesting. And of course it was wrapped around really an ongoing discussion about discrimination and racism in America, mm-hmm. which uh, certainly is appropriate for this time. Um, but uh, I would have thought, First of all, I would have thought Sam would have been paid by the U.S. government because he's certainly doing U.S. government work. Uh, and I would have thought a bank would have loved to have had him as a as a lender or, or you know, as a borrower because then they can say, hey, you know, we service the Falcon. So I thought that was all really interesting um, on multiple levels. Anything for you on that? Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. And I thought it was particularly interesting, the one little, it was almost a throwaway. They said, you know, you don't have any... Um, lending or money history for the last five years because you didn't exist. And that kind of introduces the whole topic of, of post blip logistics. How were all of these people, you know, reintegrated into society um, it, dealing with the same issue that, you know, our new big bad guys are dealing with is, was it better before? Was it easier before? What are things looking like now? And just in terms of the money, 
um, I think they might have their own merch lines and run them. Because if you, no, I'm completely serious. Do you remember um, unlicensing fees? Um, because if you remember in Infinity War, they talked about the ice cream flavors. There was Stark Raving Hazelnuts and then Hunka Hulk of Burning Fudge. Uh, I wonder if they'll have their own merch and fan clubs. <laughs> well, I'm sure they would license, you know, to serve yeah. reputable business. <laughs> Um, ben and Jerry was would be a key one for me in terms of their sustainability efforts. Mm-hmm. What did you think about, um, you mentioned the, the therapy sessions, and so let's go into that a little bit. Uh, I don't guess I'm letting out too much information to say I've sat in one or two. Oh, yes, in here. Uh, they have not been. If they were that, if the therapist was that good, I'd still be there. <laughs> uh, mine were not that uh, confrontational, but... Um, Certainly in episode one, I felt like she was appropriate to kind of break through to Bucky. Any any thoughts from your perspective? Um, And it really felt like you can't possibly understand. And I know like he's there very much because this is the condition of him, you know, being able to be a free person. Um, And I think he is very much not willing or ready to deal with everything that has happened. Um, Because I mean, he was this brainwashed bad supervillain for, for 70 years, heals, goes into a big war, then loses his best friend, the only connection that he had to the past. Uh, and now is, not be, I mean, being treated, I guess, fairly by the government, but like having to do all of this internal work that he doesn't want to. And, and yeah, I, I think it was a really realistic portrayal of someone who does not want to be dealing with their internal life, um, but being forced to. What did you think about the amends? That was interesting because, I mean, I guess I'm most familiar with amends. Um, you know, it's what you do in AA when you're working the program. Um, I hadn't thought about it really in, in terms of, like, supervillain recovery. Um, but I guess there's <laughs> there can be the parallel there, perhaps. Um, I like that he was being technically – no, he wasn't being technically honest about whether or not he followed the steps. Um, but I think he was following the spirit of making amends. Uh, if not the letter of the rules. Do you think that worked in terms of the older Chinese gentleman he was befriending and we found out why at the end? I I found that a little bit hard to watch because I I really liked their friendship. I I liked the relationship they had and the way they were talking because I think, you know, kind of chronologically, the the older men would be a peer of Bucky's. They, you know, were born at around the same time, would have had the same earlier inputs into their life. And he really liked the guy. Uh, and and I don't think he was ready to face the pain that he caused him. The the thing that struck me that's different about certainly the AA twelve step program mm-hmm. and the in the amends and what Bucky's making is that in the AA twelve step program you are excused from an amend if in doing so uh, it will hurt the person you're making the amends to. So uh, I really thought about that, certainly in ter- terms of the Chinese okay. gentleman, because mm-hmm. frankly, I, I struggled with what amends he could make other than bear his soul and say, I murdered your son. Yeah. And I mean, that, that really could go either way, right? Because having the closure and knowing what happened would be one thing, but then an, an additional feeling of betrayal for this person who would become your friend, that's, that's rough. And there I contrasted with Jason Bourne at the end of the second Bourne movie, where he meets the daughter of the two Russians he had assassinated in, uh, I think, Munich, but perhaps Berlin. And he uh, broke into her house and 
uh, told her that uh, his parents had not committed suicide, or his mother had not killed her father. Uh, he had killed them both. And so I thought that was a, a qualitative mm-hmm. difference between what Bucky was trying to do because he was trying to correct the truth or correct the historical record by spilling the truth to her so that she might have some comfort that her parents actually did not only love each other, but loved her. So that was the closest I could come, but I still think it was a little bit different than, than what Bucky was doing. Yeah. I think he's going to find it easier to functionally write wrongs more than emotionally write them. Uh, you know, cause he had empowered the Senator to be corrupt and he was able to put a stop to that. And that, that was an objectively, you know, good action to take for, for America. Um, it's less clear cut when it's an individual's relationship with a family member. So what about the contrast between the friendships of Bucky, the winter soldier and Steve, and then uh, Wilson, the Falcon and Steve, what did you see different? Did, did you see anything different in their friendship, their friendships with, uh, with Captain America and then their contrast that even further with their friendship with each other? Bucky and, and Steve, I mean, they went way back. They were the original friends. Um, and so they had a really long history to build on. Wilson and the captain, the relationship started more professionally. And I think it kind of came from, you know, a mutual respect that built while they were doing work together. Um, and I think, you know, right now, uh, Bucky and Sam do not care for each other's company, uh, which makes for great watching. But um, uh, I feel like they're going to grow in respect for each other starting professionally. And then it's going to move on to the more emotional. I respect you as a person, as well as a fellow superhero type of way. That's, that's my prediction. Let me turn now to, uh, I thought it was John, but it's Joaquin Torres. I thought he was one of the most irritating characters I've seen in, in many a moon. (laughs) I liked him. (laughs) Because he's a little elf on the shelf or what? I, I, well, the first thing I thought when he, we came on the screen is like, ah, oh, yes, there's the Marvel levity in the person of, of of Torres, and I think he's really well-meaning. He's kind of he's the he's the straight man is kind of how I'm seeing him being played right now. Is he, he just he believes that he's doing the right thing and he's do, being helpful as much as possible, and he maybe wants to be a little cooler or more well-known than he is. I, I thought he was kind of sweet. He, he was kind of sweet, but I guess I was concerned that. Uh, if he's the point person for the Falcon on these missions, he seems to be uh, so you can become a second lieutenant basically when you're 21 in America. You go to college, go to ROTC, okay. you come out as, as a second lieutenant, as an officer. But you're still basically a kid. It's <laughs> zero experience. And that's really what I got the sense from him, particularly in the first scene. Uh, it was a lot of wows and oohs and ahs. And not a lot of uh, technical support. Well, that, that was kind of um, the part of Sam's whole experience there being in, uh, in was it Tunisia? Um, he was on a, right. a pretty big, important looking mission with very few resources. He had this one point person and no backup. That comes back to the, the money thing. Maybe the government is financing him and they're trying to cut corners <laughs> or keep their budgets low. <laughs> Probably should say a few words about the opening sequence, which was just one of the most outrageously great action sequences. Uh, I don't think we'd be giving anything away to say it's the Falcon in pursuit of first a helicopter and then a plane. And, and a great, great epic Canyon chase. 
Oh. <laughs> and it was. Uh, you knew you were on for a roller coaster ride. The uh, opening with Bucky was a little slower, uh, but still just as powerful. Was there anything that you saw either gave you pause or uh, concerned you about future episodes? Um, well, one actually was kind of a callback. Cause, I mean, it, it started off with that, um, I think it was the Steve Rogers voice in his head doing the shield handover. Um, he really frequently, I, I've gotten big letters here with an exclamation point, wing shield. He was using mm-hmm. his wings um, very much the way Cap used the shield. And I thought that was, that makes me think he's going to grow into the role and regret that he gave it over to the government. I don't think we can trust the government in this case, in this series necessarily. Um, and I think there's going to be like the bad guys who great flying squirrel outfits, just as an aside, um, little wingsuits, but I think it's going to be a lot of gray areas because they really, they open up the fact they're going to be talking about, um, systemic racism. They're going to be talking about doing therapy and emotional work and recovery of different kinds. Um, I think they're dealing with things really head on in a way that I don't, I don't remember at least off the top of my head that Marvel has done before um, in this series. It looks like it's going to be really explicit that they're dealing with it. I'll leave the ending where they introduce a new Captain America uh, for a moment uh, because the scene between the brother and sister, uh, Sam and his sister, uh, when they were mm. around the boat, kind of hashing out what to do, uh, that actually reminded me of the parable of the prodigal son. The way it reminded me was it was the sister who stayed, mm-hmm. as in the prodigal son, it's the older son. But it was the sister who stayed, who lived through the blip and did all the work and tried to hold everything together. And now uh, I can't tell if they were, I don't think they're twins, but I couldn't tell who was older or who was younger. But anyway, the brother returns and and he's ready to take over again. And, and she's like, wait a minute, I've been doing this for five years. I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, we just can't sustain this anymore. And she's ready to move on with her life. And it seemed like mm-hmm. he, first of all, he just showed up and like, I'm the boy. I'm here to, you know, save the day. But number two was that he didn't realize he was just picking up his life from five years ago. Mm-hmm. And he, and obviously he had no experience at what had happened in those five years. But um, there seemed to be a pretty big knowledge gap. on him. And I thought that, that was really sympathetic, uh, too, because, I mean, you can only imagine just coming back and it feels like no time at all has passed it would be really hard to rationalize the fact that, you know, your sister has had this chance to grow out of and be ready to move on from the family business. Uh, it's, it's relationships are hard, mm-hmm. maybe another recurring theme. Um, but I hope we get to see more of that, that family. Um, Cause the nephews were really cute. So what about uh, the ending? Um, and that's where they introduced the new captain America. Uh, first of all, let me ask you first, how did you feel when you saw that scene? Just emotionally. I was so angry. <laughs> I felt so angry. Uh, and it just, it felt so unfair. That, that was the biggest emotional impact that I had. What, what about, what was your emotional response to that? I think I was more disgusted. Uh, and the square jaw, that was it for me. I'm like, you know, <laughs> they just brought this guy out from central casting and, uh, I mean, he looks bad. He, he looks much worse in the mask than he does. When- I mean, it's not the most flattering headgear of all time. But- <laughs> we certainly don't have the Captain America butt. That's America's butt. <laughs> That's America's butt. 
So we're missing that. And just the cheesy way he looked. Uh, it, and I thought back to in the first Captain America movie when he was being introduced across America as Captain America. And he was fumbling his lines and and really unsure of himself and a little bit nervous. Um, and we really saw none of that. And, and I just attributed that to uh, complete fakeness. So I, I was and then he smiled, and that, for me, was just the creme de la creme. Yeah, I, I had down that he, he looked like he was going to be willing propaganda. See, I was thinking, what superpowers does this Joker have? How's he going to save anybody? But don't forget, Batman didn't have superpowers, <laughs> so uh, he fought a lot of crime. But uh, I thought that was a, a really interesting way. And what I had not fully appreciated, because I haven't read comics for so long, was that there's an entire storyline around him and in the Marvel comics and that they are largely, not largely, but fairly, I think, following that story arc um, of a new, of another Captain America uh, so that they're, they're actually grounded in, you know, the Marvel cinematic or the Marvel comic universe. So I felt increased comfort for that because that, that will lead us somewhere. But uh, I, I must say that, and and then I went from disgust to disappointment um, of where we were going next. Yeah, and I thought there was one. Um, um, this just kind of rubbing salt on the wound, and I, and I had to go back and check it. But the he was introduced by the same government official that told Sam he was doing the right thing by giving up the shield. So like this had obviously been planned, and this had been orchestrated. Right. It's so infuriating. Yeah, so infuriating. For our synopsis for episode two, entitled Star Spangled Man, Walker appears on Good Morning America and reveals his desire to live up to Steve Rogers' mantle. Uh, Bucky Barnes tells Wilson that he should have kept the shield and decides to accompany Wilson to Munich where the Flag Smashers and their leader, Carly Morgenthau, are stealing a shipment of medicine. Wilson and Barnes attack the group in yet another spectacular fight scene. But this group of Flag Smashers are all super soldiers and overpower Wilson and Barnes. Walker and uh, his sidekick, uh, Lamar Hoskins, arrive to help, but the Flag Smashers all escape. Walker wants to work with Barnes and Wilson, uh, the new Captain America, I should say, but they refuse. They then go to Baltimore, where in a really troubling Fascinating and interesting scene. Barnes introduces um, Wilson to Bucky, that is, introduces uh, the Falcon to Isaiah Bradley, a veteran super soldier who had fought the Winter Soldier, i.e. Bucky, back in the Korean War days. That's the early 1950s. Bradley refuses to help them uncover information about additional super soldiers due to his treatment from the American government. He was imprisoned and he was experimented on by the U.S. government and Hydra for nearly 30 years. And he was released from prison. Uh, I think he was pardoned, but that may be a little unclear. Barnes is arrested uh, in a, just a horrific scene in front of Wilson's house. The police roll up and harass both of them. Uh, Bucky, of course, being white, uh, is not as badly harassed as um, Sam is. And... Um, they finally uh, recognize who Sam is, and so they are about to let him go, but it turns out Bucky's missed an appointment uh, th- for therapy, so he's arrested uh, for violating a condition of his uh, 
parole or probation. Um, they get Bucky released, and then in what I thought, well, I'll just say, I won't say how I thought, was an interesting scene. They have a joint therapy session. Barnes and Wilson then again refused to Walker, and Barnes uh, suggests, uh, Bucky suggests to Sam that they visit the imprison, imprisoned Helmut Zemo for uh, a talk about uh, Hydra's tentacles still across the globe, which I thought was a delicious uh, tantalizing teaser. So what were some of the cookies and other cool stuff that you saw in episode two, Megan? Um, I giggled uh, embarrassingly at uh, the big three. So aliens, androids, and wizards. <laughs> um, and I did fact check Bucky on, I read it the year it came out in uh, 1937. That is the year The Hobbit came out. Uh, so well done, researchers. <laughs> um, but yeah, the argument about what makes a wizard, are wizards real? Um, that was fantastic. Um, the Flag Smashers uh, stealing medicine. I thought that was a really interesting move because that's not usually the super villain play. They weren't stealing jewels or, or weapons. They were stealing vaccines. Um, so who, where, who, who are these for? Where are they going? Um, I, I think they're being set up, it, you know, as we, we touched on a little bit earlier, as, as not wholly evil. There's going to be a lot of shades of gray um, that we're dealing with there. Um, and all the super soldiers, where did they come from? Who made them super soldiers? Uh, that, that was very fascinating. It sounds like we're going to be getting to the therapy session eventually. So that will be fantastic. New captain, uh, well, Walker, um, and Lamar Hoskins. Uh, I think there, there's comic book history there too, isn't there? I saw that in a few comments, but I have not personally read the comics. Um, please don't at me because I'm not on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now there's, there's two pairs of people. Um, who are, I think maybe their relationships are going to be made better with each other by their contrast to the other group is probably the way it's going to go. And the kind of the big, big thing, and I think this theme came up at several points in the episode, um, a lot of Bucky's problems are personal and a lot of Sam's problems are systemic. Um, So Bucky's got to do all this internal work and he's dealing with his own emotions about having, you know, done these things. The guilt, is it his? Should it be internal or external? How are people going to treat him now? And Sam is being like systemically discriminated against on the basis of his race. And a lot of his conflict seems to be coming. It's being imposed upon him rather than being generated internally. Not that he doesn't have internal problems as well. I'm sure he does. But like the big things he has to face are systemic and faced by many and not strictly internal to him. Those were my episode two thoughts. What were yours? (laughs) So first of all, uh, Carly Morgenthal, and I can't remember the name of the actress playing her, uh, but I thought she did a fabulous job. And I don't don't say she's a blithe size, but she's thin. And she certainly would not be one you would think is enhanced or a super soldier, yet she has super soldier strength. I mean, I grew up on Buffy, so that <laughs> that read really clean to me. <laughs> okay. Um, so about the best I got was Batgirl. So, um, uh, but I thought she did great. And we saw her in multiple scenes. We saw her in action scenes. We saw her in scenes where she was being chased. We saw her in scenes where she was having to be persuasive. And we saw her in scenes where I thought she was incredibly intellectual. Uh, and so I saw a great range from her and it made me think this is going to be a multifaceted villain that we can, if she's a villain, that we can follow kind of throughout. The um, 
once again, I was a little, uh, I moved uh, from disgust to irritation with the new Captain Walker, or excuse me, the new Captain America, um, uh, particularly in the scene where after they're whipped by the uh, flag raisers and they're walking slash uh, riding in a Jeep and they're trying to convince them all, uh, trying to convince Bucky and Sam to work with them, the new Captain America and his sidekick. I found that incredibly irritating. Um, uh, so I really uh, didn't fully appreciate that. The uh, Isaiah Bradley, um, first of all, that's also a storyline in prior Marvel comics, which I was not aware of at all. And so I've read as much as I can find about that. But there's really, when I saw that scene, uh, that as a Southerner uh, brings up for me the Tuskegee medical experiments. Mm-hmm. And for those who may not know what that is, unfortunately, the U.S. government conducted some horrific medical experiments on African-Americans in the Deep South in Tuskegee, Alabama, for about 40 years. And what they did was basically take men who had untreated syphilis and not ever treat them so they could see the effects. And that... Uh, um. And so that's really when you when you talk about that type of treatment in America, that's really what that brings up for a lot of people my age. And so not knowing his Marvel comic universe backstory, um, it, it, that's where I went to in that scene. But he was clearly mistreated by the U.S. government. He was abused mentally. He was abused physically, uh, thrown in prison after having fought for the United States. I think that that was the experience of many black Americans, certainly uh, after World War II uh, I'm not, uh, and probably after Korea. Um, having said all that, it was those men who led the U.S. civil rights movement because of what they had learned, the discipline and character they had learned in the Army. So some good came out of uh, their armed forces experience. But Bradley is one angry man, and he is still angry. And he, uh, I'm sure we're going to see him again because he obviously knows things that uh, Bucky and Sam need to find out. So that was kind of powerful scene one. But then the scene outside his house where the police roll up and immediately start to question both of them. Uh, And it's basically they question Bucky because he's a white guy in a black neighborhood. And it's like, what are you guys doing here? And uh, they ask for ID and, and Bucky gives them his ID just like I would give him my ID. And he, and he says, Sam, give him your ID. Well, Sam doesn't have ID. And so that leads us down what I thought was going to be a very bad path, but somebody recognizes Sam, but that's when they find out Bucky's violated his parole and he has to be arrested. So you, uh, if our listeners don't know, you're not an American. So what does a Canadian looking at kind of all of those scenes see from her perspective? Canada certainly has um, doesn't have clean hands when it comes to, to racism. Um, and we also get a lot of American news. Um, so I, I had been aware of the Tuskegee experiments and, uh, you know, seeing that relayed so clearly was, it, it's hard watching because you can only imagine someone who's had that, that lived experience of being the same as America's idol and treated so differently while the news and the media and the culture and at school, you're learning, oh, everything's equal. It's a meritocracy now. And just it, it, brutal example of it. And then taking that immediately 
into the outside scene with the police, I, I had a slightly different interpretation of it because I noticed they asked Bucky, is he bothering you? Referring to Sam. And it, it seemed like, you know, they were really, they were racially profiling him. And it very much, you know, like you hear about in the news happening all the time, you could, could have been shot, could have been arrested, could have been really harmed. Uh, so like, what, what a day, <laughs> what, what an emotional experience to have. And I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to be watching this like, you know, we're both white people. Um, what would it like being watching this if, if we were black? Like, how how clear would that be? How resonant would that be? I, I can't really imagine. Um, but yeah, kind of like, as we said before, they're not shying away from from that hard stuff. And I really hope they're going to address it a lot more because it's certainly of the moment. And that's like what Sam said at the beginning. You know, we need heroes for the time that we're in. I mean, we also need TV for the time that we're in. <laughs> So did your experience with the Marvel Cinematic Universe give you any hints that there were additional uh, U.S. super soldiers? Um, I don't remember having the thought, oh, there must be more super soldiers. Um, Although, you know, now that it's been presented, thinking back, if a government had the power to make super soldiers, it is hard to imagine that they would not make as many super soldiers as they could. Um, But no, I hadn't really thought that there were more. I remember in the, in the once again in the first Captain America, where basically the designer of the program was murdered, and then the equipment itself I think was destroyed, and so I just assumed that was the end of it. And but you're right; it, it makes sense if they could create one, if they could reformulate the formula and, and try it again. And obviously they did. Uh, but it also makes me wonder: were there other American super soldiers besides Bradley out there? Have they super soldiered new Captain America? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> That's and that irritates me too. But uh, uh, I just don't think a regular guy ought to be out there claiming he's Captain America if he's not on stage. So uh, I really don't like him. Obviously, now we get to the therapy scene, and I have done couples therapy. I've never done couples therapy like that. It's always control your anger, you know, you may have issues and you may have ugly things to say, but you can't present it like that. You know, it has to be respectful. You have to say your piece, but then you have to listen to the other person. And I've certainly never touched someone while I was doing that part of the therapy. No, I've never done soul eyes. You haven't done soul eyes? (laughs) (laughs) So have I missed the whole thing? Uh, I can't imagine anything more awkward. Than soul eyes in a therapy room. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. The therapist it was immediately like, no, both of you come in together. Like she very much well, assumed that they would have to be working together for the foreseeable future and needed to have a functioning relationship for that. Um, but I'm not sure where she got that idea. Like, was there, what, why are, do they have to work together? I, I feel like I'm not entirely clear on that. Um, I, I guess other than maybe efficiency, um, being able to, to cover more ground or do more things. And I'm sure they were playing some of it for laughs or, or maybe just military issued therapy is a lot more tough love than commercially available therapy. <laughs> uh, I've, I've unfortunately not written down the name of the actress who plays the therapist, but she's perfect. She's great. She, uh, oh, she's uh, if, if anyone listening has seen the uh, series Bosch, she's the lieutenant in Bosch and she has the most well-worn face look of just about any actress I've ever seen. And it's perfect. Uh, it's the weight of the world and 
worrying about everything. And uh, she, if she's wearing makeup, it's with a just a minimum of makeup. And it's incredibly impactful, just the way she looks, I think. Yeah, so I, I absolutely loved uh, her attitude and the way she was dealing with the situation of having to give therapy to these two recalcitrant heroes. Just like, I don't want to be here any more than you do, but let's get done what we have to get done, tick our boxes, and we can get back to our days. So let me ask you about one scene we didn't talk about, which was earlier in the show where the new Captain America goes back to his hometown, gets to meet everybody in the football stadium. And in a Texan Friday Night Lights, all that, it's all true. Everything centers around football and the football stadium on Friday night. And I'm from a little town, so I certainly participated in that. But how did that whole sort of homespun shtick coupled with what we now know as his resume of being a war hero and a, a fighting officer and certainly a, a well-honed officer, what did that give you, make you feel, or what did more did you want? I thought it was interesting because I, I felt it really highlighted the difference between him and Steve Rogers. Um, because, you know, in, in Captain America, um, he was, uh, he was kind of, he was a nobody before he became Captain America and he was selected on the basis, um, you know, of being that nobody. And, you know, he had that scene where he jumped on the hand grenade. Um, and one thing that the scientist who, who created the serum told him was a weak man understands the value of strength, but a strong man doesn't. And, and that's not something you see reflected in new Captain America. Um, who came, you know, as a decorated hero, but without, you know, understanding maybe what it would be like to not be that. And maybe he's got a tragic backstory that, that we'll find out about in the future. Um, but I thought it was really interesting um, and shows possibly a difference in the government's priorities for what Captain America is going to be now. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, I, I'm feeling something very sinister, sinister by the U.S. government. Uh, and I don't know if S.H.I.E.L.D. is back around uh, if the agents of shield will uh, agent Phil will have to show up and, and help us understand something. But I do get the sense that uh, the U S government really. They've uh, also got him holding a, a gun when he's just walking around are, to but, events and speeches. Uh, and I don't uh, think old Captain America did that unless he was like actually in a Captain battle, America. which seems reasonable. Um, I mean, I'm never used to seeing guns, but that seemed like an intentional choice. Well, Megan, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap this up because we're having way too much fun. But I'm looking forward to uh, episode three this coming Friday and then us getting together next week. I can't wait. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. Megan and I will be back together next week where we take a look at the next episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You should check out some of the other offerings on the Compliance Podcast Network. We have a new offering of Coffee and Regs, and we have Mo Forecast, the podcast from the Morrison and Forrester Law Firm, hosted by fan favorite from the FCPA Compliance Report, James Kukios. Thanks again for listening. Please join us again next week. This has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.